0: You are now listening to The Random Rambles of Jay. Number 28, mate. You are currently listening to The Random Rambles of Jay for the week beginning December 19th, 2011. Why, hello there, my ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You are currently listening to the Random Rambles of Jay, and I am your podcasting host, Jay. And as I sit here and record this, it is Christmas Day. So if you are listening to this on Christmas Day, Merry Christmas. And if you're listening to this after Christmas, then I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. So, as promised in Random Ramble number 27, here is the Christmas podcast (laughs) number 28. I know some of you haters thought I would let this podcast slip into 2012. No, no, I am on my A game. (laughs) So... As promised in my last podcast, I will be talking in great depth on that Zelda game you might have heard of, called Skyward Sword. And, for the DC fans, I'll talk a bit about Arkham City, and then I'll talk a bit about Deus Ex, but there's not really much to say in that game, because I've barely played it. And then there's lots of other stuff I shall be sharing with you in this
1: podcast,
0: but... I won't waste any more time giving you a list of things which you can expect in this podcast. I will just let it roll and let you listen to it all. (laughs) Ta-da! So the first segment, which always kicks off my podcasts, is a quick recap. Well, it's not quick when it comes to me on this microphone. But a recap of what has been going on in my life in the segment which took me forever to name. In my, my
2: Don't you in my life.
0: So what has been happening in my life? <laughs> I have no idea why I laughed because... There was absolutely nothing funny about what I just said. But, um, well, I think I'm a bit drunk and high on, my, on mince pies because that's all I've eaten today. But what has been happening in my life over the past week? Well, there's this small thing called Christmas. <laughs> I'm a hot mess today. But, yeah, Christmas. I'm not really feeling Christmas this year. Possibly because, well, not possibly. I know it's because of work and where i work or no, christmas has a huge impact on where i work and because of that i've been stuck headfirst into everything christmas related doing lots of christmas planning and things like that as early as october so by this point i'm absolutely sick of the color red the color silver the color gold the words merry the term ho 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 songs tinsel i'm just sick to death of it and i also work in central london not far from oxford circus the council had all of the lights up on as early as october all of the stores along oxford street regent street had their christmas windows their lights debenhams had their christmas lights up yonks ago selfridges had their lights up yonks ago house of fraser had their lights up yonks ago so for the past three months, that's all I've been seeing, and I kind of feel like I've been bludgeoned around the head and bombarded with Christmas for three solid months straight. <laughs> so by this point, I'm just, I just want Christmas over and done with. So the lights can come down, we could just draw a line under it because I'm just, I'm sick of it. Every time I walk to work and I see all these Christmas lights, initially it was really, really nice and I really liked it, and I was. I was kind of getting into the festive mood, but now it's like it's too much. It's too much. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm ready for it to be over now. And now every time I say a Christmas light, I just want to grab a kitchen knife and commit seppuku. Done with Christmas. Done with Christmas. But in saying that, yesterday I almost succumbed to the Christmas festive spirit. I went into Selfridges yesterday. Yes, I went into Selfridges on Christmas Eve, Eve. I must have been crazy. But I will say I hate Selfridges because the shop always looks nice. It's a nice store to walk around, but the people there make me hate it. And also some of the staff there are just wanks because the thing is with me is I dress very casual. So for some reason, people look at me in my jeans, my boots and my coat. Yesterday I had a woolly hat on with a bobble on top (laughs) and people, it's almost like certain people look at you like, what are you doing here they're so pretentious and patronising and I hate that and the thing is with me is that I don't ever shy from that and turn into this kind of recluse who is really offended by stuff like that, it just puts me in a pissed off mood, it's that whole that air of pretense that just permeates the air in Selfridges I just hate whenever I'm in there but I had to go in there yesterday because I needed to buy a Christmas present for someone in HMV so I walked in and the one thing I will say about Selfridges it always looks really nice and Selfridges is one of the few places that does Christmas right from a visual perspective because it always looks really nice and classy and not tacky the concessions looked amazing and they had classic Christmas songs playing you know, Frank Sinatra, none of that Beyonce murdering Silent Night nonsense or Lady Gaga singing about how she wants a disco stick under her Christmas tree crap. So it was really, really nice. And in a split moment, I was in Christmas mood until I walked outside and it was raining and I also wasn't able to find what I was looking for. As Soon as I went in there and found that what I wanted was sold out, Christmas spirit dead. So now I just want Christmas done with. Done with. So that's a nice depressing tale there of how I've been dealing with Christmas. (laughs) And what else has been going on in my life? Actually, going back to Christmas it's really bad. I've not bought any presents this year. No, tell a lie. I bought one. I bought one. But that was only because somebody who I didn't think was going to buy me a present bought me one. And i thought to myself oh god it's gonna look so awful if i don't buy them something now so it's more like a guilt present which are always the worst presents because you're 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 not i don't know but yeah so i've been a bit of a scrooge this year but on the good side it means that i will have some money to tide me over until i get paid in january because i don't get paid for six weeks oh so um that's the good side it's yeah, I'm a Scrooge because I didn't buy presents, but on the plus side, I saved money. I saved a lot of money, which, which, is, which is nice. So I can go Christmas shopping for myself. I actually did a lot of Christmas shopping for myself this year. Every time I went to buy a present for someone else, it ended up turning into a present for me. Oh, distant worlds. I mentioned this in my last podcast that I had attended the Zelda Symphony, which was amazing. If you were unable to attend it, stay mad, kill yourself. And I also got to go to Distant Worlds. And I wasn't as excited about Distant Worlds as the Zelda Symphony, mainly because Square tend to beat you around the head with their Final Fantasy soundtracks. So at this point, I've heard as many versions of Genova as I can take, as many versions of One Winged Angel as I can take. I I kind of feel like the Final Fantasy soundtracks have been really strongly saturated much like Christmas you can see where I'm going with this so I wasn't really as excited about Distant Worlds but I was still looking forward to it because I love watching live performances hearing music live and I absolutely adore the sound of an orchestra Distant Worlds was a good experience it didn't blow me away in the way that the Zelda Symphony did mainly because near enough every single song that they played or the orchestra played I'd heard it orchestrated before Distant Worlds is an annual thing which happens in America and Japan every year. I think this year was the first time they brought it to London at the Royal Albert Hall. And I think I was more excited about going to the Royal Albert Hall than actually listening to music from Final Fantasy because I've never been to the Royal Albert Hall before. And it's such an amazing venue. Like, as you're walking towards it, you're just like, wow, this place looks amazing. And then you go into the actual hall and it looks stunning and the acoustics were just blew my mind especially in comparison to the zelda symphony that the acoustics was spot on so i think the whole of the whole experience of being at the royal albert hall was what i took away from distant worlds more than me being there listening to final fantasy music and if i'm being really really honest i'm not 100 percent familiar with all of the Final Fantasy soundtracks. I'm familiar with 8, 7, 10 and 13. All of the other games I know odd songs, but I don't know them that well. So there were several moments in the concert where I was sat there thinking, oh, this sounds amazing, but I don't particularly remember this piece of music. Whereas with Zelda, I knew every single song they played. And because I held a place in my heart or because each piece of music from the Zelda games is tethered to a part of my childhood and a memory of my childhood. It just felt more tangible for me, whereas with Distant Worlds, it was like, oh, this sounds great, but I don't necessarily remember this song. It's not familiar to me. It's not really bringing forth any of these feelings like Zelda Symphony did, because there were moments during the Zelda Symphony where I was ready to actually break down and cry because I was so happy. But there were certain pieces of music which, I mean, all of the music sounded fantastic. Genova sounded amazing. That was the one piece I was really looking forward to hear. One-winged angel, as you can imagine, sounded an absolute bouse. And surprisingly, Final Fantasy VIII got quite a lot of love. They started off with, um... Oh, what's what's the, the opening theme to Final Fantasy VIII? I think it's called... I'm not going to try and butcher the Latin, but... The, <laughs> the song that plays in the intro to Eight, where you've got the tide coming in, and it's like, I'll be here waiting, and all of that and they also played eyes on me which is the ending theme to final fantasy 8 and also the battle theme not the battle theme the bot no it was the battle theme from final fantasy 8 that sounded fantastic because i had never heard that orchestrated before and it really sounded amazing and they played the scene on the screens when you go to is it Dollet? Is it town Dollet or something i can't remember when the giant robot thing chases you and quistis goes all ripley on the machine gun but the one thing about Distant Worlds which left a sour taste in my mouth, the conductor had mentioned, at the very beginning, he said, oh, welcome to Distant Worlds, we're glad to bring this to London and the Royal Albert Hall. And 99% of the music you're going to hear tonight is composed by Nubuo Yuematsu, who I like to refer to as my uncle. And as soon as he said that, I thought, okay that means they're definitely going to play something from final fantasy 13 which is the one soundtrack that Uematsu had nothing to do with so i was really excited about this because the one piece of music from final fantasy 13 which i love or not even just the one piece but the battle theme from final fantasy 13 is one of the best battle themes in the series as far as i'm concerned i love Uematsu. i think he's amazing but Masashi Himazu really brought it with that battle theme. And so I was really excited about the prospect of hearing that. And then halfway through the concert, the conductor comes out and he says, this next piece of music was not composed by Uematsu. And I was like, yes. And then he introduced it and said, oh, we are now going to play Blinded by Light. And the crowd didn't really go mad. (coughs) Uematsu stands. But I stood up, I clapped, I went crazy because I loved that song. And they started playing... Everything sounded spot on, everything sounded perfect. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm getting in the groove now, I was proper getting in there, slinking in my seat to the music, and then it happened. They ruined the damn thing. Now they not only did they miss out a whole section of the song, but the arrangements were kind of I wouldn't say they were off, but the main part of Final Fantasy thirteen's battle theme that makes the whole thing is the violin. The, the violin is everything, with the dinner, dinner, and you couldn't you could barely hear that part. It was like, where's the violinist? It sounded like he was playing it from under the floorboards of the stage because I could barely hear it, and there was that energy that it has. It just wasn't there at all, and I was I was just sat there with my head in my hands, like, what is this? This this doesn't sound good, and I thought it was just me, and then I turned to, Kuba, my friend Kuba my good friend Kuba oh you're Polish sausage and I looked at him and I didn't say anything and he looked at me and didn't say anything and then there was this awkward silence and then he went that didn't sound right and I thought thank god it's not just me and I tweeted as well saying I'm not happy I I, I can't remember exactly what I tweeted but it was a dislike for the theme and I got a couple of tweets back from people saying oh I know it, it didn't sound right did it and I was like oh thank god so I know it's not just me And my theory is that they deliberately played it like crap because Yui Matsu didn't compose it. Every single piece of his music they played sounded perfect. And then Blinded by Light, they completely shaded it because Yui Matsu didn't compose it. And the thing is with Blinded by Light is that it already sounds very orchestral as it is. So it wasn't even like they needed to change much. Fair enough... They wouldn't have been able to have replaced the electric guitars with an orchestral instrument, but everything else, they were set and they still messed it up, f***ed it right up. So I wasn't happy about that. Really, really wasn't happy about that. There's a conspiracy theory. Well, it's not even a conspiracy. I know they deliberately slapdashed that performance just because it wasn't Yuimatsu. So that was the lasting impression I had of Distant Worlds, which is... A shame because everything else was brilliant, it sounded fantastic. But I was really looking forward to hearing Blinded by Light and to hear it played so badly, it kind of they absolutely shaded that song. But overall, Distant World was great. Um, they announced that they'll be bringing it back to London Royal Albert Hall next year, so I will get tickets for that, even though most of the songs will probably be exactly the same other than we'll probably get a 13-2 song thrown in there, which they'll probably play like crap, because Matsu once again, had nothing to do with it. Although in saying that, there is one track in that soundtrack, which Matsu did do, so they'll probably play that to perfection. Can you hear the bitterness in my voice? Good. So, um, yeah, Distant Worlds was cool. I know I kind of sound really down on it, like I've thrown it under a truck, but I did like Distant Worlds, although I have to say zelda symphony they gave you a free program distant worlds they didn't
2: mm. Mm.
0: and what else has been going on in my life i've been playing games i know i mentioned in my last podcast that i was going to mention or talk about the games that i didn't mention in the last part, podcast in de- i'm gonna start that again <laughs> I had mentioned in my last podcast that I had been playing a lot of games. Didn't go into great detail on all of them, but I will in this podcast. The two games I will be talking about. Oh no, the three games I will be talking about: Arkham City, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, and The Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword. <laughs> I hope you like that rendition that was special that was just for you I didn't have to do that but I did for you treasure that been eating so much pizza lately I, I I just I'm turning into a pizza crack addict. It. it's awful this week I've had pizza on three consecutive nights and they're not small pizzas they are giant 15 inch pizzas and they are so greasy and they look disgusting but they taste so good and I may actually get another one tonight I should take more care of myself really because I know it's not good for me and the morning after I eat one of my lovely cheap ghetto pizzas I feel like crap I feel like I'm dying like I literally I just lie in my bed like clutching my stomach but I'm just a fiend for these ghetto pizzas they're so nice and I bought one for me and a couple of my friends to share yesterday I think they're hooked It's a good thing they don't live as near to this ghetto pizza parlour as I do because I know they'll be eating them every night. I'm going to end up turning into a fat mess. So what I might do is just eat as much ghetto pizza as I can between now and New Year's and then as a New Year's resolution, I'm not able to eat ghetto pizza or I'll eat ghetto pizza once a month. Though that was a resolution I made in 2011 and that resolution just got absolutely two months into the year so we'll see how that goes but I've been eating so much pizza it needs to stop but I love it so much it's hard it's like crack
1: you are now tuned into the random rambles of Jay
0: really? for me? oh (laughs) thank you What is this? What what is this? What what is What what is this? Get out. Get
1: It's here for the people who have received cheap Christmas gift from the tree. You call them cause you know you have to smile. So your ass don't clickin' and break my child. It's Christmas, it's go out out Work to my bitches in my ho, ho house. You tell you do what you want, what want. Got them in memo and then want won, want, want. Everything I can do for you. Just for them to hit you with the present that is poop. Then they have the damn audacity to ask if you like you want a tragedy. A trading game from 95. That I ain't gave but two pun out. Some MP. My little stove that's broke cause I didn't find it on the floor uh, uh, Can you tell me what this is? Cause it's up to me like you taking the piss Cheap gifts with no fun put into it in What the hell might this goddamn yeah, gift? Get my hopes up, got a present for me Then I open it, I wanna throw it away Now I got this smile I, 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 like it's okay This is my Christmas space okay, As it is a disgrace This is my Christmas space cool, 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 what the hell possessed you? Poo, poo, poo. Use a i got the smile I, 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 like your This is my Christmas face Your no, present a- 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 is a disgrace this, this is my Christmas face i act like I like what you give But it's hard when your presence is so damn shit Sweaters and socks in the wrong damn size I'm six for your body and the small Was you blind No thought put into anything Good tidings of garbage presents you bring You is just a no, no, cheap like a how, how, all the way down to the balls you blow. What is going through your head? Did you cry? Doing this to me on Christmas Day? Now I should go less away. Uh, uh. Can you tell me what this is? Cause it sounds to me like you taking the piss. Cheap kiss with no thought put into it. What the hell might this goddamn Give Get, get my hopes up, got a present for me. Then I open it, to blow it away. Now I got this smile. All Like it's okay yeah, This is my Christmas face Your present is a disgrace This is my Christmas face Poo 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 What's the hell possess you Poo 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 Use your mother You know no, I got the smile all Like it's okay yeah, This is my Christmas face Your present is a disgrace This is my Christmas face All the memories round on Christmas day Your presence in my hands The lives of me I open up your gift and I just hate This is the I just tell you to go away What the f*** is this garbage about bought for me? But I just said smile and then put on my Christmas face So I just said smile and then put on my Christmas face Get my This is my Christmas This is my Christmas This is my Christmas
0: A couple of gaming bits which have caught my attention <laughs> over the past couple of weeks. The first being Metal Gear Solid. Oh, sorry, my bad. Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. Now the game looks rubbish. <laughs> the game looks like absolute garbage, and I don't know what Kojima was thinking, even allowing this the development of this game to continue. Now, when the GIF image of riding sliding across the screen was unveiled about a year ago people were sceptical, it was like, oh god, here we go. Then the game dropped off the face of the planet, no one cared, everyone suspected the game was cancelled, which it was, it turns out. And then, recently, we get a new trailer, the game is developed now by Platinum Games, and it looks like Bayonetta slash Vanquish. Now, I, I liked Bayonetta, I actually loved Bayonetta, I thought it was a really great game, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, But do I want a Metal Gear game which plays like Bayonetta? No. Do I want a Metal Gear game which plays like Bayonetta with a bit of Vanquish? No. I don't. If I want to play Bayonetta and Vanquish, I will play Bayonetta and Vanquish. The game looks absolute crap. It looks garbage. I don't understand at which point Kojima saw what Platinum Games did and thought, this will be amazing. This is going to be a big hit the game looks generic it looks boring it's just your bog standard action hack and slash game you can run on a wall so what you can run upside down so what you could do that in bayonetta you can tear through a mech and throw it into a wall so what you could do that in vanquish bayonetta could do the same thing to monsters i just i don't know i just do not know the game was cancelled at one point it should have stayed cancelled the most interesting thing is that kojima productions released a video which was a set of interviews with the key members of staff working on this game and they talked quite explicitly and candidly about the development issues that they faced working on this game and at no point does any form of passion for wanting to make this game work ever come through Every single person in this interview sounds depressed, like they are ready to throw themselves on the Ginza line on the way home and just call it a day. And when you're watching that, as a potential person who may buy this game, whatever faith you have left in this Metal Gear mess rising game, it's gone after this interview. Because the thing I took away from it is nobody really cares Nobody really cares or has any kind of passion for this game. And another thing which was just glaring to me is that you almost get a sense of animosity from the Kojima production staff because Platinum Games have managed to come along and really impress Hideo Kojima in the way that they failed to. And by Platinum Games being involved in the game, they've pretty much steered the story, which had to completely change. Metal Gear Rising was originally set between Metal Gear Solid 2 and 4 and now the game is set after 4. And the lead scriptwriter, you can see in his face, he's not happy about that. And he's so bitter and everybody in the interview seems bitter. Even Platinum Games. One of the lead producers at Platinum, he's like, Oh, Kojima productions are bastards. They want things done in really quick timescales and he laughs like he's joking, but you can tell whenever people say things like that, it's semi joking, semi serious, and you can tell he meant it. He was You could tell he just thought, I wish I wasn't working on this game. And I don't know why Platinum Games are making out like working on this game is so hard when Metal Gear, all that they've done is just reskin the whole game. They just took Bayonetta, reskinned it, threw a couple of vanquished boss battles in there. Oh, here we've got Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Lazy, the game looks rubbish. If a demo is released for this game, which they're going to need to release a demo, I'm not buying or picking up this game without no demo. I'll, I'll, pl- I'll play it, but the game just looks... It looks like nonsense, generic hack-and-slash nonsense with the Metal Gear name, a bunch of characters I don't care about. I, I just, and I can't wait to see them explain how Raiden gets that ninja cybernetic body back. Really, ca- really can't wait for that. And I'm expecting the reason will be nano machines because that was the reason behind everything that happened in mgs 4 but that's a whole nother rant i won't go into mgs rising just looks generic and generic is not a term you'd ever associate with the metal gear game but <laughs> you do now <laughs> another bit of gaming is tekken tag tournament 2 now the tekken series has fallen off over the years tekken 1 was good Tekken 2 was a major improvement. Tekken 3 was amazing. Tekken Tag, mm, it it was fun. It it was fun. They did it up very nicely for PS2. And then Tekken 4 was just poo. The game was absolute poo. It was awful. They took out decent characters. They changed up the flow of that. Tekken 4 was just a mess. Then Tekken 5 came along and Tekken 5 was everything. Tekken 5 for me is one of my personal favourite Tekken games. It was spot on. And then Tekken 6 came along and in the arcades it was a good game but then when it came out on console it suffered because Namco took far too long to release it. And so in the arcades it felt fresh, it looked fresh, it sounded fresh. It felt how a new Tekken game should really. Big, bold you no, know, all eyes on it when you're in the arcades and then when it came out on consoles because it came out so long after the arcade release it felt outdated it looked outdated it sounded outdated and the gameplay just didn't feel as robust and it seems to me or not even it seems to me the same thing is going to happen with tech and tag tournament too the game was released in arcades i think only a couple of months ago And the game will not be releasing on consoles until this time next year, Christmas 2012. Therefore, Tekken Tag Tournament 2 is going to end up in the same position that Tekken 6 was in, which is that it's probably going to be a really cool arcade game. Lots of people are going to want it. And then by the time the console release rolls around, no one's going to care because the game is old. And Capcom probably would have released another really big high-profile beat-em-up, which is going to throw Tekken Tag Tournament 2 under a floorboard. And I just don't know what Namco are thinking. And it's a shame because Tekken Tag Tournament 2 does look like a really good game. It looks fun. The character roster is huge. The soundtrack isn't on a level with Tekken 3, which, for me, is one of the best beat-em-up soundtracks around. But, you you know, it's it's a return to form somewhat. The graphics look really nice. And the, the tag mechanism looks like it's really stepped up a great deal from Tekken Tag 1 but again all of these things which seem fresh and really cool now are they going to still feel the same in a year's time probably not and that's my main concern with Tekken Tag Tournament 2 is that it seems like a good game but in a year is that same magic going to be there and I don't think it will something I mean, this is only my opinion. It's not gospel. I'm sure there are many other Tekken fans out there who feel differently. But I just don't feel like Tekken Tag... Not Tekken Tag. I don't feel like Tekken games age that well. I mean, Tekken 5 was so amazingly robust that I can still play Tekken 5 and Dark Resurrection now and it feels feels like... This feels right and even though the graphics may look, look as good as tekken Six is, the gameplay is still so robust that you can play it now without any problems and it's the same with games like soul Calibur 1 whereas with tekken 6 already i play that now it feels outdated and my fear is that because tekken tag tournament 2 is built on the foundations which were set with tekken 6 are not so much tekken 5 that the same thing is going to happen and again, as I mentioned, Capcom will probably release a really big or high profile game, which is all singing and dancing, colourful, and feels a lot more fresh than Tekken Tag Tournament 2. And I don't get why Namco didn't do what Capcom did, which is just develop the game for consoles from the ground up first, because then porting that out to arcades will be easy. It'll just be the flick of a couple of buttons i suspect and then at least the console version's there so you can release it within a really decent time frame but spending so much time developing the arcade version and then spending time converting that to two different consoles to then release it a year later it's stupid capcom got the memo that this didn't work years ago namco still haven't got it i, I really don't think tekken tag tournament 2 is going to do all that well even though it will it will be releasing ...in the holiday season... ...which is a really good period to release games... ...I'm just not sure... ...and this is a shame... ...because as I've said several times... ...it looks like a really cool game... ...and the trailer at VGA was was amazing... ...I was really shocked... ...it was very very Street Fighter 4 though... ...and also what's going to happen... ...with this Tekken X Street Fighter game... ...Street Fighter X Tekken releases... ...in a couple of months... ...and Namco are putting so much time... ...into Tekken Tag Tournament 2... ...I'm wondering is Tekken X Street Fighter... ...even going to happen... Hopefully not. Street Fighter 4 had a really distinct art style which translated well into recreating all of the Tekken characters but I imagine if you put Street Fighter characters into the Tekken domain it won't work. They're not going to be able to put projectiles in that game because it will throw the balance of the game off completely and the thing is with Street Fighter characters is that when you put a really stylistic slant on the graphical and art style, the characters look really interesting and fresh. But then when you throw them into semi-realistic art styles, they look generic. And if you put Street Fighter characters into Tekken's artistic graphical style, the likes of Ryu and Ken are going to look really boring, bog-standard, like, self-character-created characters. So um, hopefully that will get scrapped. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And some console talk. Xbox 360. A few weeks ago, um, Microsoft put out a whole new dashboard update for the Xbox 360, which is based on their Windows Phone 7 layout with boxes, grids. Very clean, very slick layout. I liked it immediately because it just looks so fresh. It looks really clean. It looks very slick. And the one thing I have to give Microsoft props for is that when it comes to their dashboard, they always find a way to present everything to you in a way which is easy to find. And that's what I like about the new Xbox 360 Dash is that whenever there's a new item, a new game, a new demo, it's there. You don't have to search through menus to find it. Everything's just there visually in the gui and in comparison to the ps3 cross media bar system it's leaps and bounds better the problem with the ps3 dash which i really hate is that you really have to dig through so many menus to find the stuff you want which kind of defeats the whole object of a console really because you just want everything to be there really easy to find accessible you shouldn't have to keep clicking through stuff because then we're moving into pc territory and then the lines between console and pc once again become blurred and not only that but another thing with the ps3 which it just feels so archaic is that everything is web-based whereas with the xbox 360 things like youtube 4od love film it's all app-based so it's optimized to work specifically for a console so everything's faster quicker easier to access whereas with the ps3 every single one of these things you tap into like youtube 4od it's all web-based so it's like you're pretty much on the website on your console and consoles are optimized for web use in that way so it feels clunky and I, i always hated the ps3 dash from the start but now that microsoft have finally got things like youtube And it's app-based, 4OD, and it's app-based, Dailymotion, and it's app-based. It makes the PS3 look so old and outdated. And even Nintendo, their Wii channel system, I I think it's a shame that Nintendo didn't push on that more because I really like the premise of it and the layout, but Nintendo just didn't really invest enough into it. And even the Wii channels are more app-based than web-based, which is a shock because they've still got one up on Sony in that regard. So I really like the new Xbox 360 dashboard. I I know there have been quite a few mixed opinions on it online and in forums and with Xbox Live users. But I really like the new system. It's clean. I think it's one of the best dashboard updates that Microsoft have done. And I love that Microsoft aren't afraid to just completely change the dashboard. They've done it several times before. And every time they update the dashboard, it looks better, feels better and just presents a better User experience, which is how it should be. So I think Sony really needs to take some lessons from that. That cross-media bar needs to change. It needs to change. And I don't really watch TV much. I do, I barely watch TV at all. I watch everything online on my PC. But ever since YouTube and 4OD have gone live on Xbox Live, <laughs> I've been watching so much more TV now because obviously my TV screen is bigger than my PC screen and. It's nice being able to watch it all in HD. And as I said, it boils down to the user experience being so seamless, easy and transitional. So I I can't wait to see where Microsoft take that. And I guess you could always argue, well, the Microsoft service is paid for, but Nintendo service was free and they still managed to get a couple of bits right with it not being web-based and it being more about apps. So... I don't know, with the PlayStation Vita out nin- not Nintendo, Sony may decide to switch things up with their their Dash interface for the PS3. I really think they need to, because as it stands I, t- I just don't like it, I never have, but now Microsoft have come out with this new Windows Dash system for their console which just makes the PS3 look even worse. So that's my two cents, that's my two pence on that. <laughs> Recently there was a big piece of news which hit the web relating to The Legend of Zelda and That is that Nintendo, bless them, went and released an official timeline for The Legend of Zelda. Now, (laughs) we all know there is no coherent timeline when it comes to The Legend of Zelda games. You can try and place them in some form of chronological order, but it will not work. There are some games where there is a clear chronology, which would be... Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, The Wind Waker, which makes sense. But then all of the other games, no. (laughs) There's no chronology. There's no clear chronology. And for me, it, it never once mattered to me, really. The games on their own individually were solid games, great adventures. And it's just one of those things where fans want too much and they want something that is so unnecessary and has no bearing on anything the clue is in the title the legend of zelda which means the way i always interpreted it was that each game was its own story each game was a legend which had been foretold and passed down for centuries and centuries and each time the legend is told it's changed slightly That's what I took away from it. And I think that was probably Nintendo's intention with the games all along. Because if you have a chronology, it means you have to keep following a set pattern. You have to keep being mindful of stories which came before, stories which came after. And it's hard, especially when you've got a series which has run for so many years. I mean, 25 years is a long time for a game series to, to have gone on for. So the idea of having these games run in any kind of chronological order or be direct sequels to one another is stupid. It just would not work. So why fans (laughs) seem to demand a timeline, I have no idea. And why Nintendo even alluded to a timeline existing, that was the first mistake. (laughs) Nintendo shouldn't have... They should never have alluded to the timeline and I think fans had been speculating about this timeline ever since. I think it started to stem from the Wind Waker because the Wind Waker was the first game which explicitly put it out there. This game is set after the events of this game. There were a lot of references to the Ocarina of Time and I think that didn't help matters because from that moment on fans were like, "Okay, so there is a timeline and we demand to know what it is. <laughs> Surprisingly, Nintendo actually released one, despite being adamant that they wouldn't. And I'm looking at the timeline now, and it just—it's it, just a mess. <laughs> you, I, IG Anuma must have been smoking crack when he wrote this timeline, because I just don't—I just don't know. I'm, i'm looking at it now and it's just making my head hurt there are all these different eras different ceiling war prosperity era sky era i just i don't know there's i'm confused there's the sky era the era of chaos the child era the era of light and dark the Hero of Time is successful. The Hero of Time is defeated. The Hero of Time frees Kunta Kente. The Hero of Time finds Mufasa. I just don't know. It's just confusing. I, it makes no sense to me. And my initial reaction or my initial feeling or my initial thought when I first saw this timeline is that it makes as much sense to me now as it did before, which is it makes no sense because you can tell as Nintendo were making these games, they had no concept of a chronology or a timeline in mind so to then try and form one with the games (laughs) it's like it's weird because nintendo have made a timeline out of games which were developed with no timeline in mind (laughs) and the only three games which followed a chronological pattern were ocarina of time majora's mask and the wind waker other than that there wasn't one and then obviously now you've got skyward sword being the very very first in the story I don't think Nintendo really needed to release a timeline. I think Skyward Sword did a The Wind Waker did a really good job of setting up the premise of there are different links born into each era in which Ganondorf is reborn and in each of these eras there will always be a Princess Zelda. And then Skyward Sword did a really good job of um actually did a brilliant job of um explaining how that comes to be. Who exactly Link is who exactly Princess Zelda is and how Ganondorf gets woven into the story and why the three of them will always coexist. So there was no need for a timeline. There there wasn't. And I kind of think, there not being a timeline, I I think it was nicer when you could speculate, but now it's actually on paper that there is a definite timeline. It's like, oh. And then it's also weird because you're looking at the timeline and it's like, parts of it don't even make sense (laughs) so nintendo bless them but there is a zelda timeline it's official actually official and it's a hot mess timeline so um yeah interesting stuff interesting stuff wow wow just just the the timeline is just wow If you'd like to eat stalk me online, it's ever so easy. You can follow me over at Twitter at underscore randomj underscore. And you can also check out my blog at randomjblog.com. Also, did you know that my podcast is available on iTunes? Nope. Well, you do now. <laughs> Search for The Random Rambles of Jay on iTunes and you can subscribe, stream and download my podcasts from your iPhones, iPods and iPads. I had mentioned to you that I was going to talk about three games in particular which I have been playing recently. Those three games being... Arkham City, Deus Ex Human Revolution, and The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. So talk about the shall The first game we're going to talk about is Deus Ex. I had heard of the original game, which was released back in 2000, but had never played it. My knowledge of the game didn't really go beyond it simply existing. But with Deus Ex Human Revolution, there was a fair amount of press about that game. I remember reading a really cool article on it in the london metro which tied in with the whole thing of human augmentation actually being a reality today and i think the article was on a guy who had one of his eye sockets implanted with a camera i know and also several friends of mine who were huge fans of the first game had also picked up human revolution and they recommended it to me and at this time i wasn't really playing anything i was fresh off of playing through mass effect 1 for the second time so i was in the whole sci-fi be the good or bad guy mode so i thought why not might as well pick it up bought it and started playing it and the first thing which caught my eye was wow this game has a lot of black and yellow black and yellow black and yellow um (laughs) bad joke i know but There was that, and then also it reminded me a lot of Mass Effect. Now, I know some of you are going to call me a complete idiot, but I was in shock that the game was actually a first-person game. So many of the shots and videos I'd seen of the game in action showed the main character in third-person, so it threw me when I started playing the game, and I was like, oh, it's (laughs) first-person. And... Not that I don't like first person games, but I'm I'm more of a third person action, third person adventure kind of guy, so I was a bit like first person, okay. But the one thing about Deus Ex which I'm I'm just finding it hard to get into this game. I'm not sure why. I just find it really difficult to get into and it was frustrating for me at one point because all of my other friends were getting into it. Some of them had completed it, they loved it, it was all they were talking about. And I was just like, w- What is it that I'm not getting that you guys are getting? I just can't get through this game. I'm finding it hard to latch onto, I'm not really caring about this main character, I'm sick of his voice. The game is hard, it's really difficult. You get shot twice, you're dead. So there's a real emphasis on stealth and I think this is where the whole first person thing kind of comes in and shits on everything a little because doing stealth in first person isn't that easy especially when for me when i think stealth espionage i immediately think of metal gear solid i think of doing it in third person so to do the whole duck and cover going through vents, doing such hardcore stealth in first person i find it difficult and it's probably because I'm MGS programmed but I just find it really hard with Deus Ex doing such hardcore stuff in first person and the game giving you all of these weapons but you can't necessarily use them because if you do you get spotted, you get shot once, you're dead. And I've died a lot of times playing Deus Ex and I've barely scratched the surface of the game. I'm still right at the very beginning but already I'm finding it difficult and I don't have the patience for games now that I used to have. So when I get killed twice, three times, four times on the same section, I just switch off. I'm like, I really can't be asked to play this game and I turn it off. So I've cheated a little with you guys because I said, oh, Deus Ex was a game I've been playing, but I've not really played it extensively because I'm finding it so difficult and I'm finding it hard to get into. I thought the gambit for me would be that there are similarities Between Deus Ex Human Revolution and Mass Effect. In terms of the whole conversation, dialogue, branching goes. And really being able to either have your main character be the good guy or the bad guy. But I'm not finding Deus Ex as accessible as Mass Effect. And the difficulty curve in Deus Ex is so steep. When Deus Ex first came out and everyone else had bought it long before I did. There were so many comments on my timeline about... I keep dying, this bit's difficult, this boss is difficult, did anyone know how how did you do this bit, how did you tackle this bit? And initially that's what put me off, but my friends convinced me to buy it, and now I've bought it, and I hate those friends. I'm going to have to get through that game, I can't just have a game sat in my collection that I've started and have not completed. But then in saying that, I've still got Zack and Wiki on the Wii, which I've not completed, and Eternal Sonata on the Xbox, which I haven't completed. Deus Ex is on its way to making that same pile. The next game is Batman: Arkham City. Now, I remember playing Arkham Asylum and not really liking it. I felt the buttons were a bit too overcomplicated, and again, I wasn't up on the whole stealth thing. I I'm the kind of game where if I walk into a room and the game tells me I've got to do stuff, I just have I feel the need to just run in the middle of the room and just shoot people. But with Arkham City, the brilliant thing about this game is that it's more open. You're not so confined to such small spaces. And there are lots of moments in that game where you'll be flying around, hovering, gliding, whatever Batman does, around Arkham City. And you'll find thugs. And you can just land in the middle of them and just beat them all up. There's, obviously, when you're doing missions, there's stealth. But then there's lots of moments in the game where stealth isn't really necessary. You can just be an obnoxious Mr. Beatdown type person and just go mad, which I like. And also there's this there's less of a feeling of restriction in Arkham City and that's another thing I didn't like about Arkham Asylum is you were all I was very aware of the fact I was just in this small facility on some island and that I couldn't get away from there. So being able to grapple to the top of a building and glide around this massive city, I loved that sense of freedom. And I don't think I've experienced that kind of sense of freedom and exhilaration since playing Spider-Man 2 on the PS2, I think it was. I love it. I I could just glide around Arkham City for ages just beating up thugs. That could have been the whole game for me and I would have liked it. Um, The graphics in this game are amazing. The soundtrack is amazing. The voice acting is top-notch. I really like this game. I'm finding it hard to complete because I keep getting sidetracked by the side missions and the side missions in Arkham City are brilliant because they don't feel like tacked on ridiculous side missions. They feel like the main meat and bones of the story. As you're doing some of these side quests, you think to yourself, why were these just side quests when they easily could have been woven into the story because they are so cool and i actually think the side quests are much more fun than the main story missions because it weaves in all of the more eccentric characters like the mad hatter um oh god this psychotic serial killer guy i can't remember his name and then deadshot and the riddler so it's, it's really the side missions in the game are they're causing problems for me because i just keep doing them and I keep getting sidetracked. I probably could have completed this game weeks ago, but, you know, those side missions, they keep popping up. But Arkham City is a really cool game, and already I'm really looking forward to the next game, which I'm sure is going to be titled Arkham World, which will be followed by Arkham Universe, Arkham Galaxy, Arkham Solar System, Arkham Everything, Arkham Life. I... I still think the buttons are a bit too overcomplicated. Something simple like just spraying explosive gel on a piece of glass feels difficult. But it's a good game. It's a really cool game. I do like it. Um, and then there's Skyward Sword. Skyward Sword. <laughs> um, Skyward Sword. The game I have been playing the most out of the games i just mentioned to you i like skyward sword but the funny thing about skyward sword is that it's a game i like more in retrospect than i actually did as i was playing it skyward sword is a really great game i just want to put that out there but it is not perfect and even though skyward sword introduces gameplay elements which really help push the zelda series forward there are also elements which kind of nail it to the floor and i think stephen totillo of kotaku put it brilliantly he tweeted weeks ago before the game even came out and i can't remember the tweet verbatim but it was something along the lines of skyward sword presents some of the best moments in the zelda game but also some of the worst and he was spot on There are certain moments in Skyward Sword where you're just like... I can't believe Nintendo are making me do this. It's not fun. It's regressive. It's boring. It's dragging the game down. And when you have a game which is so well polished and so fantastic... And you have these blemish spots in the game which are so awful they're the moments that tend to stick out as opposed to all of the things that it does right at at least that's how i feel about something is that even though fair enough skyward sword has done so many things right it's the things it does wrong which stick with me the most because they leave the most lasting of impressions and i'll try not to go into too much detail in these moments but one in particular is um you meet a character who's wounded And she tells you, oh, I really need some of this special water, but it's in a particular location. And your companion says, oh, I know where that is, I've marked it on your map. And you find out that the location you have to go back to to get this water is actually in a dungeon, only it's a dungeon you've already done. And I I couldn't believe it. I was like, Nintendo actually going to make me walk through a dungeon I've already done just to get this pissing water. And when you go back through the dungeon, the enemies have respawned, all of a sudden there's a door locked that you opened two hours ago, and you've got to run right through this dungeon, all the rooms that you've been through before, just to get this water for this stupid bitch. And I, the whole time I was doing it, I kept thinking, I can't believe Nintendo made me backtrack through a dungeon. Why couldn't they have made me get this item somewhere else in the game? Why make me go back through a dungeon and that was moment number one then moment number two was um there's one section that's quite late in the game where you have to learn a song and multiple characters have a piece to the song that make up this big song (laughs) and one of the characters you go to she's like i could teach you the song but you're gonna have to work for it and she takes the score to the song And she breaks it into all of these different pieces and you've got to retrieve them. It's like the whole trifle shard thing in the Wind Waker all over again. And what makes it worse is you have to swim underwater to get all of these song fragments back. Which ties into something I'm going to mention later on. But the swimming controls in this game are not good. They are awful. Shit. Yet the game insists that you swim for a good solid hour, trying to retrieve the pieces of this song, I was ready. I was ready to send this game back at this point because, again, I was like, "Nintendo made me do all this awesome stuff, and then they stole the gameplay with this crap." And then, the third moment, which made me just want to throw my Wii remote in somebody's face, was there's a particular boss which you fight several times. And you fight it the first time, it's like, cool. You fight it the second time, it's like, okay. Fight it the third time, you're like, okay, this is really getting tired. But then, not even half an hour after fighting this boss for the third time, you have to fight it again so soon. And then you're like, I'm done. I'm done with this game. (laughs) Nintendo are clearly running out of ideas, and they're trying to pad this crap out. For the sake of feeling that the game is too short for whatever reason, I don't know. All of these moments happen in the latter half of the game and it just stinks of desperation on Nintendo's part to try and squeeze as much out of the game length as possible and I hate that because it's not even subtle, it's so obvious and the game wouldn't have been any worse if it was like an hour or two shorter. If anything, it would have been better. And again, this it it just boils down to the fact that everything else concerning this game feels so right and then for Nintendo to kind of drop these faux pas moments into the game which had they again they leave the most lasting impression because from a gameplay perspective these moments in the game are not fun they're not pushing the plot or the narrative forward and they're regressive Nintendo pulled this stunt in The Wind Waker no one was a fan of that so for them to Taken all that regressive crap out of Twilight Princess... ...which felt quite nice... ...and then to throw it back into Skyward Sword... ...it's like, what, Nintendo, what are you thinking? But um, those are three moments again, like I said in the game... ...they were really strong defining moments for me... ...because I came so close to actually thinking... ...I really don't like this game... ...really don't like this game... ...and the problem with these particular moments... ...that I've mentioned is that... ...everything which is wrong with the game... ...like all of the little things... They're encapsulated within these moments. So the controls to Skyward Sword, they're really cool. They're very innovative. But the swimming controls are awful. And yet the game wants you to swim around for a solid hour to find crap. And when you're fighting this boss I mentioned that you keep fighting again. Again, it's the controls. When you when you dive, Link kind of free-falls. Like a parachuter does. And controlling him and steering him in the air with the Wii remote is a nightmare. And when you're fighting this boss, you've got to kind of free fall and try and land on top of it. The amount of times that you will miss your landing. And if you miss your landing once or twice, you might as well just start the fight again. Because it's over. You can't afford to miss landings more than twice. And it's just an absolute pain another thing about skyward sword i really don't like is the character of fee now she is your new companion in the same way that navi was in ocarina of time and midna was in twilight princess only fee is just i hate the bitch i hate the bitch the only thing i like about her are her legs Fee's legs are on point but and she's working them tights as well but She's working that poncho too, but she's just annoying as a character because she feels redundant, even though her purpose is quite significant within the scheme of the plot and the game and Lincoln Zelda's purpose within the whole trifles thingy. As a character, you just don't... She She's not a character at all. And she... I mean, Thee is pretty much like an AI for the Master Sword. So she talks like a robot. She doesn't have any feelings, any emotions. And as a result of that, you don't really connect to her as a character in the same way you did with Midnight in Twilight Princess. And another thing about Fee is she's not that helpful. There were so many times I'd be fighting a boss. I'd lock onto it like, for advice on how to beat it. And she'd just turn around and say, my analysis isn't complete. And it's only when the boss has killed you that Fee would turn around and be like, oh, I've got some information for you. And it's like, oh, it's too late for that now. I'm already dead, you bitch. I, I, just, I just in in the final in the ending to the game there is a moment with The which is very very touching and very moving, but still throughout the course of the game I just didn't really care much for Fee Her purpose didn't serve any kind of relevance other than to tell you when your Wii Remote batteries are running low. I just as as, as a I just felt as a character Nintendo could have done a bit more with her and. Yeah, she. Mm, I just. I'm. I'm not too sure about Fee. I'm really not. I, she's not my favorite Zelda companion. I prefer Navi. I like Navi. I know a lot of people hated her, but I really like Navi. And Midna. I mentioned it in a past podcast. She's one of the best Zelda characters. Period. So Fee's nothing to her. One cool thing about Fee. I will give the bitch a compliment. Is her voice. <laughs> As with Midnight in Twilight Princess, Fee's speech is is gobbledygook. I'm, I'm not sure how Nintendo do it. It's probably spoken lines in reverse or something. I don't know. But her, her voice is just gobbledygook, but it's auto-tuned. And <laughs> I find it quite funny that at some point there was a meeting for this game where Nintendo actually sat around a table and discussed using auto-tune in their Zelda game. It's quite it's quite surreal and it just, it makes me laugh sometimes because I think to myself, imagine if The actually spoke actual words, like in English, to Link with the auto-tuned voice. It would be like...
1: Link, you've got to go to the temple to power your master sword. Take care on your journey, be careful.
0: I just find it funny, I often refer to her as V-Pain. So I'm going to talk about things that Scott Sword does right. First off, the whole relationship between Link and Zelda, really well done in this game. Link and Zelda are actually childhood friends who've known each other for years and that puts a really nice dynamic on the whole Link and Zelda relationship because Zelda actually isn't a princess in this game. And Link's purpose for finding her is just the fact that he cares about her so much probably loves her and just wants to get her back and throughout the game as you're trying to track zelda Zelda down as a result of her getting kidnapped she ends up having to undergo some kind of pilgrimage and there are several moments where she wants to go back to link but she can't and it's almost heartbreaking because you're like oh they just want to be together let them be together and it adds a nice dynamic again to the whole link and zelda relationship because we hadn't seen that before and that kind of romantic relationship element to Link and Zelda's it was touched on in the spirit tracks ending and Nintendo kind of push it a bit further in Skyward Sword they don't push it as far as I would have liked them to but I think out of all of the Zelda games the dynamic between Link and Zelda's probably the strongest in Skyward Sword and it's, it's a nice dynamic that I'd like to see revisited again especially after Zelda and Link having absolutely no relationship whatsoever in twilight princess princess zelda is redundant in that game um another thing the game does really well is the pace of the game now i mentioned there were these three moments in the game which dragged the game down to an absolute halt but aside from that the pacing of the game is really really strong and it's the most different paced zelda game because it doesn't play like the rest i mean the fundamentals of Zelda are still there but in terms of the things that you do in between the dungeons and the temples they are pretty much dungeons and temples in themselves so before you'd go to a town, you'd pick up an item or two talk to someone find a way into the temple and then you just do it and then repeat until you get to the next temple until you reach the end of the game whereas in Skyward Sword actually getting to the temple itself is a temple slash dungeon in itself, <laughs> that because you've got so many obstacles to traverse, you've got puzzles to solve just to get to the temple. So the game feels like one long dungeon slash temple, and the game constantly pushes you and tests you. And as I said, it's a different dynamic for a Zelda game, but it works so brilliantly. But Nintendo are almost. Nintendo make themselves out to be their own worst enemy because the temples in the dungeons in the game are really cool and they're really memorable, but they're incredibly short. And in comparison to all that you had to do to just get to the dungeon, the dungeons seem easy. But credit to Nintendo—they never pull the same trick twice when it comes to puzzle solving and traversing terrain. And that speaks volumes that after 25 years, they're still able to keep the gameplay feeling fresh on the whole. And it's it's brilliant. I don't, Nintendo aren't going to be able to go back to the old system now. <laughs> and some of the dungeons and the puzzles in the game are absolutely genius. One in particular is when you go to the... You go to the sand ocean or the sand sea. And the game introduces time orbs. Which... There's, there's the desert you go to, it's just a plain desert. But then you hit these time orbs and it transforms the area surrounding that orb into a moment in the past so certain enemies reappear certain characters appear the surroundings change slightly and it's difficult to describe the mechanic to you without a visual aid but just trust me when you get to the lanryu sand sea or the mining facility puzzle solving and the gameplay elements that nintendo throw at you they are absolutely ingenious really brilliant original puzzles that i mean my mind just boggles thinking about it You're, you're doing some of these puzzles and you're thinking how did nintendo even come up with this shit it makes no sense so the the pacing of the game i really really like and i think one of the brilliant things about skyward sword that i really liked is that it doesn't just pull from every single zelda game which has ever been released and trust me it does every single zelda game that has been released skyward sword draws something from it regardless of how small or how insignificant or how big it is it draws from it in some way but nintendo also developed skyward sword with some of their other non-zelda titles in mind so not only is skyward sword A can't an embodiment of every single Zelda game combined, but it has the ideas of every single first-party Wii title which is released up until this point. So there are elements of Wii Sports, Wii Sports Resort, Wii Play, Wii Music, Metroid Prime, Mario Galaxy, even a bit of Mario Kart. It's crazy, and when you're hearing me say this or you see it on paper, you don't understand how it could work. But as you're playing through Skyward Sword, you actually, are, you actually think, oh, that that reminds me of, oh and, oh, and that. And that's where the genius of the game comes in, is that Nintendo drew inspiration from so many different sources. And it's brilliant because I don't think any game Nintendo have done in the past has ever drawn on so much before. So the scope of the game is amazing to me. And it just goes to show why Nintendo are one of the most innovative game developers out there right now another brilliant thing about Skyward Sword is that it's the first Zelda game to feature orchestrated music, as I mentioned in this podcast in reference to Distant Worlds and also my last podcast referring to Zelda Symphony I love orchestrated music it's been long overdue to feature in a Zelda game and it's not as memorable as Ocarina of Times or The Wind Wakers but the music is still stunning and the thing I love about this soundtrack is that it doesn't play so much on old arrangements. It would have been very easy for Nintendo to have just thrown in remixed versions of songs that we all know and love but 90% of the soundtrack is entirely new. Of course you get a couple of memorable pieces of music but you might only hear them once. One really cool thing about the audio in Skyward Sword which relates to the soundtrack is the music is dynamic and Nintendo have played around with dynamic music as early as Ocarina of Time. So in Ocarina of Time an example of it would be that as you got closer and closer to an enemy, you get this the battle music would start and the volume of the music would depend on your distance to or from the enemy. Or in the final dungeon when you're walking upstairs to go to the lair where Ganondorf is. The music gets louder and louder and louder. The volume of the music gets higher and higher as you climb the stairs. In Skyward Sword, they really, really play with that quite often, but in a subtle way that you probably won't notice half the time. And an example of this is in the very first temple of the game, you'll notice, or or not... <laughs> I'm going to try and describe this as best I can. But as you make your way, as you progress through the dungeon and you get closer and closer to the boss's lair, additional layers of music begin to build on the original composition. So it gets more tense. So when you're like, smack bang in the middle of the dungeon, you'll notice that a choral sample is layered over the music. And then when you get right near to the boss's lair, You get a string accompaniment which is layered over the choral samples and then over the original melody which you heard when you first entered the temple. And it's such a subtle thing, but it's such a cool thing. And it's something that many developers probably wouldn't have even bothered with. But the fact that Nintendo did, it it just adds to the overall package and the overall polish of the game. And like I said, it's something that not many gamers will notice. But when you do, you're like oh, that's really cool and it's such a small little genius thing which really adds to just just the scope of the sound in general. It's a really, really brilliant thing. And also, again, as you're, when you're flying through the sky, as you get near to an enemy, you get this kind of militant drumline which is layered over the original orchestration, which is like again it's a small thing that you probably won't notice but it's such a cool thing and especially because i'm such a huge fan of music i really dig that and i i really pick up on those little things but overall i think skyward sword has one of one of the most emotional and thought-provoking soundtracks of the series like a lot of the compositions aren't immediately memorable as they were in A Link to the Past or The Wind Waker but the soundtrack feels so much more I mean it's one of the most grandiose sounding soundtracks sounding soundtracks because it's orchestrated but just the compositions and the melodies it feels different but in the best possible way and some of the pieces of music in this game you could put them in a film or a really high budget anime studio Ghibli film and it would fit, that's the scope of the soundtrack that Skyward Sword has it's fantastic it's one of my favourite soundtracks I think, the more I listen to it the more I fall in love with it or I fall in love with it all over again, the music is absolutely brilliant love it, one of my favourite Zelda soundtracks Um, one of my favourite soundtracks was The Wind Waker but I think Skyward Sword might be might be pipping that top point amazing soundtrack i really do hope nintendo release it on cd at some point because it is such a brilliant soundtrack i mentioned things about the gameplay on how it draws on lots of different games which first party games which nintendo have released and i think the one which sticks out the most for me is metroid so before in a zelda game you'd have hyrule and you'd have lots of different areas dotted around that, whether it's Do- Death Mountain, Kakaruko Village, Zora's Domain, Lake Hylia, a ranch, a shop, odd towns here or there. Whereas at, in Skyward Sword, the main hub of the game is Skyloft, which is an island in the sky. And as you progress through the game, you'll be able to venture beneath the clouds in three distinct locations. One being a forest, one being a volcano, the third being a desert. And these are the only three areas in the game. But as you progress and you acquire new items, you'll have to go back and revisit these locations and the areas open up. And in this respect, it's absolutely Metroid Prime in that you get three distinct locations. And as you're traversing these areas, you'll see like a hookshot target or you'll see a wall that can be destroyed by a bomb. So you know what items you're probably going to acquire and... You keep a mental note of, okay, when I get that item, I'll have to come back here and probably do that, which will lead to A, B, C and D. And this is where the brilliance of Skyward Sword really shows because Nintendo thought about absolutely everything when it comes to the whole adventure and exploration aspect. And even though I could, I could have done with a few more locations because especially in the latter half of the game, you feel like you could do with a change of scenery. And Nintendo do a nice job of switching up the locales But still it would have been nice to have had at least another area or two You revisit these three areas quite frequently And also the temples and dungeons share the same themes So you'll go to a sand temple And then you'll do another kind of sand temple And you go to the fire temple And then you'll do another kind of fire temple And then you go to the forest temple And you'll do another kind of forest temple But, I mean, much to Nintendo's credit, even when you go back to revisit these areas, they they feel new. It just would have been nice if there was a different overarching theme, as was the case with Ocarina of Time's Dungeons, where the theme of each dungeon was completely different from the last. Just so you don't ever have that sense of, I feel like I've seen this before, even though it plays like nothing you've played before. And... Do I think it's the best Zelda game ever made? I'm not too sure. I I still my favourite Zelda game is still Linked to the Past, but is Skyward Sword better than Ocarina of Time? I'm I'm still undecided. The, the thing is is that when I read comments from people who say that Skyward Sword is the best Zelda game ever made, I can't disagree or dispute that because it has the makings of being one of the best Zelda games ever. It truly does. But I can't make up my own mind whether I feel the same. I definitely don't think it's better than Link to the Past. But is it better than Ocarina of Time? Possibly. It it could be, easily. And it's definitely a game I'm looking forward to playing through a second time. And I'd, I'd recommend it not only to Zelda fans, but just game fans, period. It's such a great game. And again, it cements where nintendo are forced to be reckoned with in the game development biz while they're still here and why zelda has managed to last 25 years and for nintendo to develop a game after 25 years and for it to still feel somewhat fresh that's a really big deal and i feel like skyward sword pushes the zelda franchise in a really positive direction in the same way that super mario galaxy pushed the mario franchise in a really new direction that you didn't see coming and It just makes me think, what are Nintendo going to do from here? Especially in terms of the controls. I I mean, one of the brilliant things about Skyward Sword as well is that they take existing gameplay elements from past Zelda games or regular items and they put one unique spin on it that makes it feel so new. Bombs. These items weren't really... I mean, bombs have always been important in Zelda games but they were never the most exciting items. In Skyward Sword, the bombs are my favourite items, and i tell you why. Because you can do one simple thing with them in this game. You can bowl bombs. <laughs> it sounds like a really small thing, it sounds like an in- insignificant thing, but bowling bombs just adds a whole new spin on the-, the bombs. And there are lots of puzzles in the game which incorporate you being able to bowl them and there's one particular dungeon right near the end of the game where you have to bowl a bomb in a certain way and the cool thing about bowling bombs you can put curves on them as you could in Wii Sports the thing is is you can tell that Nintendo realised how big a deal this was and how fun it would be to bowl bombs because for the most part any section of the game where you need to use a bomb the game will kind of force you to roll it because bombs go further if you roll them and... A lot of the time, like for instance, you might have to roll a bomb through a space that Link can't fit through, that's on the floor, so you have to bowl it through. Amazing. And the controls, I mean, the sword play in the game works completely off of one-to-one motion of Wii Motion Plus, And it makes the game more difficult. I've never died so many times playing a Zelda game in my life. I mean, I've died so many times playing this game. It's not so much that the enemies are difficult, but you can't just swipe them and hope for the best because enemies will block your attacks and especially with bosses that with the normal enemies you can keep hammering away until they drop their guard and kill them but with bosses that doesn't work because if you keep attacking them in the same way and button bashing they will just counter attack and send you flying back and when Link gets hit by a boss he will lose at least 2 hearts so you have to be so careful and the swordplay in this game is Really cool. Sometimes the registering of the attacks isn't always perfect. I'd say it's 95% right. It's always that 5% margin of error. It always seems to pop its ugly head when you've only got one heart left in a boss battle and you really can't afford for the controls to mess up and they do. So little things like stabs register sometimes as a horizontal swipe and sometimes a spin attack only registers as. A horizontal swipe but more often than not it, the, the gestures register correctly and the controls are really responsive and again i don't know what nintendo are going to do for the wii u because there's no way they can make you use a conventional controller after using the wii remote in this game it's spot on and it's a shame that the one game which truly realizes the potential of the wii remote is one of the last games the swan song for the system and another thing that seems so small That has a huge impact on the game is... Link now has a stamina meter. The whole stamina thing, being able to dash... Is something that's been done in games for years. Lots of games use it now. Even FPS shooters. Well, that made no sense. Even FP shooters. Even FPS games.
1: Oh, I'm a hot man.
0: Um, (laughs) And it's a really cool thing. Again, they're not going to be able to take the stamina meter out now. It's such a huge part of playing Skyward Sword. Because a lot of the traversing and the puzzles... Hinge heavily on you being able to sprint up objects over objects and just sprint distances. Period, and that's really what I've got to say on Skyward Sword. It's a really cool game. I really do like it. I would recommend it. It's not perfect, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. It's definitely one of the best Zelda games. It's up there. It's not better than The Link to the Past, in my opinion, but. I could argue it is better than Ocarina of Time. The things that Nintendo are still able to pull with their hardware, it's amazing. I don't think many other developers could take a console like the Wii and pull out of it what Nintendo did for Skyward Sword, which, that's, that's the difference, that's the defining factor right there. So, all in all, Skyward Sword is a brilliant game, I would definitely recommend it. Random J Radio Radio. Hikaru Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. FYI. Now, play.
1: Random J J J Radio.
2: Never before.
0: that concludes the 28th random ramble of mine which also marks my final podcast of 2011 how crazy is that the next time i will be communicating with you through the medium of a podcast it will be 2012 so do any of you have any plans for the new year i haven't made any new year's day new year's eve plans yet and if i've not made them by now i doubt I'll be doing anything. It would be nice to do something, but I'm hoping it will be really low-key. I don't want to go out, out into central London for New Year's. I've done it before. I always regret it when I do because you pay stupid money to get into a bar or a club. Drinks cost a bomb. You can't move on the streets because there are so many people outside. Getting to the venue is a nightmare. Getting home from the venue is a nightmare. And... I always regret it. But then if I were to stay at home, I'd feel like a sad bum and think, oh, I did not go out. So I'm go- I'm going to try and find a happy medium this year. Low key, not too far, friends, few drinks, just a chilled New Year's. I can't be arsed with all that central London crap. So um, 2012, I'm not one to make New Year's resolutions because I never stick to them. And it goes without saying, if you are going to make a New Year's resolution, it should be something that you can stick to. It should be something which is attainable. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution here and now. (laughs) And my New Year's resolution, or one of them, is going to be to have more patience. (laughs) That may seem very vague, somewhat enigmatic, But you can expect a blog post on that soon. (laughs) And also, I'll be talking more about that New Year's resolution and other ones which I am going to set myself in my 29th podcast. My focus for my New Year's resolutions this year are going to be things which I think are going to make me better as a person, as opposed to things like my New Year's resolution is to lose more weight, my New Year's resolution is not to eat chocolate, My New Year's resolution is to spend less money, things like that. So, I'm going to one one of my New Year's Year's resolutions is to have more patience. And (laughs) as I said, I will talk about that in more detail in my 29th Random Ramble and in a blog post. And it would be interesting to hear what some of your New Year's resolutions are. So, you guys know you can always drop comments on my blog at randomjblog.com. You can always tweet me. Follow me at underscore randomj underscore drop me an email if you like at randomjmail at gmail dot com. And I guess now's as good a time as any to say a huge thank you to all of my followers. I appreciate you all, even the bots with the egg avatars, I appreciate you guys too. And to one very, very special person who I no, has been listening to my podcast since day one. This ginger nutcase who stalks me online and insists when he comes to London he's going to crash at my place. Newsflash, no, you're not. John, aka Jun Lee, aka Red Alert, aka Mr. Lee, still kicking it in your corner. No? John car. That's a bit of fan service for him there. Thank you so much. I know you have been listening to these podcasts since day one and you're still listening to them and I really do appreciate you, John Lee. So thank you very much. You're one of the reasons I continue to do these pieces of shit. (laughs) And to all of the new listeners I've acquired along the way, thank you for listening to my podcast. It means a lot to me. I know I can be very erratic with these podcasts and sometimes there are huge three four month gaps in between them and I would like to make a new year's resolution that I'm going to podcast once a month but I know what I can get like and I know what my life can get like (laughs) and there are going to be times when I may not be able to stick to that but I will try that will be something that will always be on my mind and I hope that you all had a very very nice Christmas and that you have a prosperous 2012 and i hope we all get to see it through together and until next time be safe keep gaming you know where you can find me if you need me and yeah (laughs) so take care until next time and i'll see you all in 2012 bye
1: Master Link, now that you've got yourself a bottle, you can go to the potion shop and get you a heart-restoring drink that you can be sipping on when your health is low, low, loud. loud, loud.